All right, hello and welcome everybody to episode 10 of Memory Card Memoirs. I think this one's going to be a special one. I'm super excited. On one end, we got friend of the show. He's This is his third time back and we're only on episode 10 for God's sakes. So he's doing something right. We got <laughs> Daniel, last name unknown, <laughs> from the Save Room and Dungeons and Daniels. How's it going, man? Good, man. Thank you for having me on for like three combined shows. It, it feels like an honor uh, being a nobody in the industry, um, but it it just speaks to how much, you know, you like talking to me and I appreciate that. Well, I think you were like the first non-big, like non-website related podcast I listened to because like I always mm -hmm. listen to like IGN stuff and then I found you guys and I was like, yo, this is just two dudes. And I was like, yo, maybe I can do this, so. Hey, man, you made an Sometimes, impact on my life. That's all talking about video games needs to be, right? Just friends talking about it, sharing the passion, sharing the knowledge. So That's what we do. In uh, the other corner, we have uh, a newcomer to the ring. We got uh, Barry Carenza. I said that right, right? You said that correctly. Oh, yeah. All right, Barry. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you? <laughs> yeah, so... Uh... I, uh, I've been a game collector and uh, pretty much my whole life an uh, industry analyst for almost two decades now. Uh, I write and uh, for the website NintendoFuse.com. I've done that for almost a decade as well, uh, where I'm also on their podcast there. Uh, and then now, I, well actually then I joined another podcast called the Switch Mania Playcast uh, two years ago, over two years ago. And uh, from there, we uh, formed up a little company called Premium Edition Games, where we take uh, digital games and we bring them physically out for the Nintendo Switch. And uh, we have four games out already, and we just announced our third series, which is up for pre-order at this moment, which is Cathedral, Phenotopia Awakening, and Mighty Fight Federation. That's sick. I gotta ask, what does That's it awesome. mean to be like an industry analyst? Uh, pretty much studying uh, all the facets of the gaming industry in terms of, you know, acquisitions, in terms of, you know, where the money goes, in terms of, like, the stocks, in terms of, you know, what, what could be considered a good decision or a bad decision. And uh, it's interesting to see the mistakes made and uh, the happy accidents that have, <laughs> have occurred. Uh, and it, it's just a, such a fascinating industry. And I went from the current stuff, and then I started researching, you know, the backwards, and uh, really become captivated by the history of just the industry as a whole. And I'm still learning new things to this day, which I think keeps it exciting. I think something that's interesting is collecting like old gaming magazines, like something like Nintendo Power or something, and going back and like reading mm -hmm. opinions or kind of like um not like educated guesses but like people talking about where they think things are going to go what they think is going to happen with certain uh franchises and then it's like they were either spot on or completely wrong i don't know it's a fun it's fun <laughs> oh i agree with you uh even seeing games that either a never came out or were called different things prior to yeah exactly well i brought the boys tm here to talk about a very special game uh, I know because Daniel was on the very first episode of Memory Card Memoirs. Uh, one of the things he talked about wanting to do was this game. 
So I'm glad to have him back. And then when I talked to Barry about what games he was interested in talking about, he mentioned this one as well. Uh, so our episode for you today, folks, is Ocarina of Time. One of the most critically acclaimed and commercially successful and just loved game in the industry as a whole since it has began. I cannot put into words how important this game is to some people and to people in our industry as a whole, as I'm sure you guys will find out throughout this episode. But Barry, why don't you uh, take it away with kind of your the start of your journey with Zelda and Ocarina of Time? Uh, my start journey with Zelda uh, happened, you know, I didn't have an NES. I, I, as a kid, I played at friends' houses. So I got to experience Zelda in bite-sized chunks whenever I would go over to a friend's house. And Originally, I actually thought Zelda 2 was the first game, and the first game was the second simply because I liked Zelda 1 better, and I'm like, oh, they definitely improved <laughs> on it. Uh, then when I found out, oh, I'm mistaken. <laughs> Oops. Uh, Ocarina of Time was the... Was the second Zelda game I got at the start because Link's Awakening was the first and um, I remember just seeing the footage of it you know even the big thing of oh you could ride a horse like what that's incredible you know and uh, never forget I it was one of the few games I did get at launch at the time I was in you know early high school and uh, I remember my dad getting to Toys R Us to get me the game and just driving in front of the house because my parents were divorced. So I lived with my mother and was just like, I ran out to the car and he handed me the bag with that shiny gold box of the collector's edition. And I was just like, thank you. And I just ran inside, tore it open and, and immediately started I, playing. I just imagine you snatching the bag and not even saying anything. To <laughs> I did say thank you, you know, <laughs> wasn't a total asshole, but I was like, yes. You know, waiting so long because the gap between Link's Awakening and Ocarina of Time was a, a huge chunk. And and I had beaten, you know, the first four Zeldas at that point. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, this is such a drought. Uh, oh, my God, finally getting a new Zelda. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was it was something very special. How old were you at the time when Ocarina of Time released? Uh, 98. It was the end of 98. So I was... 16 16 years old all right well dang um and like because again when you're at that age you know like you're aware of things coming out even back in the day i'm sure like you were that into yeah. video games like what was sort of the um the leading up like like what were you feeling did you know about it was there a lot of anticipation oh yeah um between nintendo power egm uh, the early days of the internet with N64.com before it was IGN. Uh, you know, there's all these different articles. And, of course, you know, the Japanese got it first. So, you know, it was just screenshots. And, you know, I remember even seeing the demo reel, you know, from the from the first showing where it had, like, the Triforce and the, the Staphos fight, which, you know, none of that got into the real game. But just seeing Link in 3D, it was mind-blowing. And, you know, it was the early age of 3D. Uh, you know, even even something as simple as the lock on was just revolutionary. And uh, mm -hmm. just again, like mentioning Hapona, you know, when we found out you could ride a horse and it was like that was a big deal. Like what? Like the game lets you do that. It's that immersive. It, it was really something special. And Daniel, where did your journey begin? 
Ooh, okay. So I definitely grew up in a household uh, across many different households because I kind of would just bounced around between family members where I was doing kind of the borrowed console thing for a while too, where like if, mm-hmm. you know, a family member had like an NES or an SNES, I would kind of in, you know, bites play like whatever Zelda was there. So like the first Zelda or Link to the Past on the SNES. And uh, it, it wasn't really until I like got into like a, a fixed home for a while um, with like my grandparents and my aunt where I kind of like, you know, laid roots and, uh, you know, had some kind of regular care and money coming in that I wasn't, you know, bouncing in between houses. Um, And that Hanukkah, it was like Hanukkah 98, so like right after the game came out, uh, was when I got my first console really uh, outside of just like, you know, the Sega Genesis, because like that's what I had for the longest time. I was playing, you know, Genesis games. I was playing Sonic, Streets of Rage, you know, Vector Man, all those games. And um, even like up until that point, like the N64 was something that like I was, you know, renting from Blockbuster and playing like Super Mario 64 kind of just in chunks until I eventually got through it. Um, So it wasn't until that Hanukkah where I got like N64 and Ocarina of Time and then Rogue Squadron as well. Uh, And yeah, much like Barry, it was like that experience where like it just kind of like opened my third eye for like what gaming could be. Um, I had never quite been so immersed in a game and like you know having played super mario 64 first right like the these are two of the biggest games that kind of ushered in 3d gaming what it is today but mm-hmm. you know playing that game it's like it, it feels big even though it's all self-contained within like peach's castle whereas like ocarina of time is just like there is this whole world that you can explore right if there's something in the distance you could probably go to it and that just like really got me stoked as a kid like just having all these thoughts of like hey there's probably a secret here and then you know kind of inviting that fancy and curiosity and being rewarded for it and it was something that like a game hadn't really done for me you know (laughs) at that time so it it was super influential for me in terms of like you know the games that I there and kind of kept playing uh as I became a teenager and you know uh so on um I think I didn't say how old I was, but I was 10 when I first got it. Um, Mm -hmm. So very, very kind of pivotal point for me. Uh, And it was something I stuck with for a long time because like a lot of my friends, like, you know, they would get like all the newer consoles that came out and like, you know, not having much money growing up. I just was always on my N64, just like replaying it over and over and just like getting all the mileage out of it and doing everything I could possibly do in the game. So yeah, I, I owe a lot of who I am today and what I like today because of that game. When, like back in the day, because like you said, uh, you just kept replaying it because you couldn't really move on or or go to anything else. Like, was it the kind of social game? Like I remember back in the day with Pokemon, was it like you go to school and you talk about it with your friends or like you get stuck and you're like, yo, what the hell do I do? Or was it just like this contained adventure where it's like, this is me in Hyrule, like, I'm gonna figure it out on my own. For me, it definitely was that. Like, I, I'm just like, yes, I am, I'm Link. I am the hero. I'm on this hero's journey. And mm-hmm. it felt so, like, self-important and, and big for me, as I'm sure it did for, like, so many people at that time. Um, but, like, a lot of my friends ended up getting it after the fact, like, in, 
in fifth grade and they knew I was playing it and they were the ones who would get stuck and they're like, hey, like, do you know how to, you know, get through this room in the forest temple or, or do this really basic thing? And I'm like, let me tell you how to do it. And I was kind of like the walking, talking, like strategy guide for like my friends in fifth grade to where like they would invite me over and like, you know, put the controller in my hand and be like, hey, can you do this part for me? So it, it was really fun just kind of like sharing like my, I guess, I'll, I'll call it skill set in quotes because it's just, you know, it's a, it's a video game where it's like there, there's no skill level with it. It's just, you know, can you take in the systems and weaponry and learn how to play the game? Um, but I don't know. It made me feel cool and important when I was like 10 years old to just be able to share like my knowledge and stuff. Um, yeah, it, it feels silly to say it, but uh, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. And then it was one of those things where like we would have this like kind of water cooler conversations at the, at the lunch table of like oh my god like you know i hear you can get this mask like oh and this character reacts to it a certain way and you know from there like kind of the gap waiting to majora's mask it was like just a lot of speculative talk about stuff like it reminds me of um when we were playing n64 like in elementary school uh sorry super mario 64 rather and that old like rumor that you could find like luigi <laughs> or like yoshi on the roof and mm. we would just kind of like speculate all these wild things and i don't know it, it was a good time for sure i love that idea of like you know kids playing this game and you and you're stuck and like you you have to wait until the next day to go to school and talk about it because like now if I'm stuck on something for more than 15 minutes, I will become evil, enter the sacred realm, and destroy this <laughs> fucking world. Like, I get so irrationally upset when I get stuck. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, I'm curious, like, did your... Where did your Zelda journey go? Like, how, did that make you just a fan for life, Daniel? Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. Um, like, I... I had my fun with the original games. I, I didn't, you know, get to play through the original four leading up to Ocarina of Time uh, like Barry did. And I, I'm sure that like bolstered a lot of people's like fandom for the series. But, you know, for me, just like having this like really big first foray in a, in a 3D gaming, like it kind of just splintered my love off into like one of my favorite genres, which is like, you know, 3D action adventure sort of games, right? So it, it literally carried like my love from there to like where I am today. Yeah. Before I get into like my story with it, uh, Barry, because you were a, a, a bit older than, than the both of us, like you were 16, right? When you're playing this game, you're at a point in your life where like, you know, most people have a lot going on. Like they're doing their first job, they're getting their license, they start dating, stuff like that. So you were in like extremely formative years of just, creating memories both like socially and in the video game space like mm -hmm. is that do you attribute those memories of like some of the stuff you did back then with like that game like like how much did it encompass kind of your social life um you know it's one of those things where i was the kind of kid where i would go over friends houses to play we played n64 a bunch you know uh, mario kart star fox golden eye you know, multiplayer was king, and I, I did bring Ocarina of Time over uh, to a friend's house to show them, and and actually uh, was got them to purchase it. And another one of my friends never played Zelda, had no interest in Zelda, but he had the full Nintendo Power. So when I got stuck, 
what I did is, you know, the internet was so infant at the time, I would call him up and say, hey, what does Nintendo Power say about this? Because I don't have Nintendo Power. <laughs> and he would, like, like do the great Deku tree. Like, he would, oh, go here, here. This is some tips. And he was, like, reading. He's like, this sounds really cool. And he wound up buying the game because just finding, like, the tips that he was reading me got him engrossed. Like, I want to try this. And now he plays every Zelda game as well. So uh, things like that definitely brought, you know, people together. But I wouldn't say, because I, I was a sophomore at the time, so I didn't have driving until the following year. Uh, so mm -hmm. thankfully I didn't have to do that. But, you know, I wasn't like a popular kid. I was, you know, I just stuck to myself, did, did my own thing. And when I went home, you know, I liked to play video games, you know, life. Life wasn't always the easiest, especially as a child of divorce. So uh, I, I did like used video games as an escape to get out of reality because reality kind of really sucked at that time. So Ocarina of Time and, and uh, you know escaping into Hyrule uh, was just so magical because it, it felt almost taboo because I got it from my father. So I was like, oh yeah, my mother doesn't want me to have this because I got this from my father, but so I'm escaping into the game world, and uh, you know it. It would definitely, like, you know, after school, it was like, I want to go home and I just want to play that. Like, I didn't even want to hang out with other people at the moment. Like, I'm just so engrossed. I just wanted to escape. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it really was magical, especially at that time period where we didn't have the Internet. So, you know, the whole is is Luigi and Mario 64, you know, and the, the pictures. Oh, look, is this a real one? We, we had no idea. It was the same with Ocarina of Time and, like, all the different secrets and you know, what what was carried over from the previous games and what wasn't. And, you know, it's just, it really begged the question of, was this a sequel? Is this a prequel? You know, we were thinking about the timeline at that point, uh, especially because you know, Link to the Past, at least the North American manual, like said, like, oh, it's in the past. And like, okay, uh, so is this in the past or is this the future? And wait a second, there's, you know, Malin and Talon, but are those Marin and Taran? Like, you know, like the, the connections there and... It, it really made it interesting. Uh, what kind of... I guess what drew you to like the Zelda aspect? Was it just the more medieval fantasy thing? or I was a Zelda fan. Uh, just captivated by the adventures of the originals. Uh, you know, playing on the NES, it was... It was the first game with save, you know, and it was just one of those <laughs> where it was a grandiose adventure. And I hadn't played Final Fantasy or Dragon Warrior or really Quest at the time. Mm -hmm. So my role-playing games were stuff like Zork, which was a text adventure, uh, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. So to see this grandiose adventure where it was open, like, you know, on NES Zelda, when you got it, you got a map and it showed you just the beginning of Hyrule, but it didn't fill in all the spaces. So when you left... A, a square that you had the map for into an uncharted territory you really felt like you were exploring and zelda one had so many secrets and was so open-ended and you know at the time we would go to you know school and we'd be like oh you know did you find this or did you find this uh so to be able to see that transpire into 3d uh was just mesmerizing in that regards mm-hmm you bring up a good point, and I want to get up, get into that. But uh, before we do, I want to kind of give my little spiel yeah. about Ocarina of Time. As usual, this showcase that <laughs> I'm a lot younger than you guys. I was a year old when Ocarina of Time came out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I feel really old. <laughs> um, and when I was growing up, 
I was like I was a hardcore Mario kid. I I really barely knew anything about Zelda. Um, the first time I ever saw it was my babysitter growing up. He had an N sixty four, and like sometimes like instead of the babysitter coming to my house, I would like my mom would drop me off at their house. And I would just, like, sit there and, like, watch him play video games. And he was super into Zelda. So I remember specifically uh, being in his basement and seeing him be in Ganon's castle. And I was like, this is terrifying. Like, I don't even know what's going on, but, like, this is so scary. And just seeing, like, the look of kind of, like, terror but excitement on his face. Like, it, I could tell it was, like, the end of this grandiose adventure. Uh, but again, I, I even still didn't get into it cause I never owned an N64. Uh, and then as I grew up and a lot of my friends had played Zelda and like some of my girlfriends had played Zelda, it was like, it grew to be this thing in my life and this game that it was like mystical. It was like, I haven't played it, but it's something I always hear about it and I know it exists, but it's like, it's in that realm of like this legendary thing that if I touch or like get too close to it's gonna like you know become like fog in my grasp it's gonna like I'm gonna reach out and it's not gonna be there and that's still kind of true for Zelda for me like even to this day but later on in life I was in college and the my major that I was taking was very easy so I had a lot of free time and my girlfriend at the time was like okay, I want you to finally sit down and play Ocarina of Time. And I was like, okay, like, I don't have an excuse. Like, why not? Please tell me you married this girl. <laughs> <laughs> not even close. Ah, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I finally sat down and, and I played through most of it. I didn't go all the way through just... Because I didn't end up marrying this girl. <laughs> didn't exactly end well, so... Oh, no. I kind of got distracted. <laughs> um, and... I just, like... Again, because I never had some of the... I guess associations like you guys would. Like, I wasn't as mystified because I'd played games like Skyrim and Fable. And, like, there was plenty of open worlds or the things that grew to be known from zelda like you said barry like zeke targeting and mm -hmm. just like being in a 3d space like that had been iterated on for like 20 years at that point um but it was again it was still that magical game like stepping out into hyrule field for the first time or hearing the like sweeping swell of emotion of the title like screen theme it just hit me like and it still hits me to this day um but yeah not to get too deep into it uh we'll get there in due time but uh i guess like barry you said earlier like this game did so much for 3d like back in the day can you guys kind of go into what that was like like that big change and just how kind of not disorienting, but how different it was to have this new kind of sp space to play in. I guess the only way I can compare is like VR got big when I was a teenager. So like I kind of know what that's like. But again, that's that's still 3D. So 
Um, it definitely changed things. Uh, like, like one of the first instances is in the Great Deku Tree there, and they, they even highlighted this, I think, prior to launch, where you get into a room, and the room, you have to drop down a ledge, and you're trapped in that room. And the only way out of that room is to use the slingshot to shoot down a ladder that's hanging on the ceiling, and that something like that hadn't never been done before because with two-dimensional you didn't have to worry about the vertical it was top down you know if you drop down a ledge there was always another way back up there was no hanging from the ceiling puzzles so to see that suddenly and like obviously going to the first boss you know uh goma where she's running along the ceiling uh, again you had to look up like that was something that couldn't be done on the nes the super nintendo or the game boy so it was just fascinating to think about puzzles now in a whole new dimension and uh it really only evolved from there and nowadays you know everyone takes things for granted because it's been you know over over two decades since so at that time though it was just it was new it was revolutionary you, you really had to think outside the box which was exciting i guess my related story is like when i was 14 and skyrim came out like me and my friends all gathered in my friend Dalton's living room and we were just like, whoa, like this is something else. Like this is something new. Like I said, we grew up on games like Fable back in the day, but like this is a whole other can of worms. Like was that kind of, well, again, I know it is, but back back then was that kind of the same sentiment or people like, holy shit. Because like Mario 64 already came out before, but this was like a whole other kind of, adventure and and like you said doing things with like puzzles in verticality and in a 3d space was it as revolutionary as people have built it up to be 100 percent, and I th you could <laughs> see the influence uh it trickled down uh i mean you think about that era you know the the playstation had horrendous 3d early 3d games uh, and it, it really wasn't until Mario 64 came out and really revolutionized, you know, 3D movements with the analog mm -hmm. stick. And, you know, the, the, the PlayStation, the, the DualShock came after. The original PlayStation did not have analog sticks, at least the, the original mm -hmm. controllers. So that alone was revolutionary. And then to utilize moving cameras... That was something that you didn't have in the in the first four games for Zelda. The camera just followed you. In most games, the camera followed you. So, little things like that, things that er, pretty much everything you take for granted today, had to start somewhere. And when that first started, that was a ripple. That was a, a big ripple. It was to the point that a lot of people, you know, in high school, the majority of people had PlayStations. Like mm -hmm. two people had a Saturn, and and about you know. Half the people that had PlayStations had N64s, and very few had both. And it was the point that people at PlayStations were suddenly like, whoa, hold on, hold the horn. Let me, I got to see this game in action. Uh, especially with the advertisements. Uh, if you ever saw the commercial for Ocarina of Time, it was, it was completely non-Nintendo. It was probably the most non-Nintendo commercial Nintendo has ever made. And I think you can see of that era, like if you look at Final Fantasy VII's, commercial and you look at Ocarina of Time's commercial they didn't do video game commercials like that and they I don't think they've done them like that since like it was a whole different like lightning in a bottle era and mm -hmm. but you definitely saw that trickle down 
uh, to the other bigger franchises like Metal Gear Solid start going into 3D, Final Fantasy start going into 3D, Dragon Quest start going into 3D, and 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 it was all because of things learned from between Mario 64 and Ocarina of Time. Like Nintendo did it first, everyone else then started copying. Uh, in terms of doing it properly, you could always say Bubsy 3D and stuff like that. Well, you know, Wolfenstein <laughs> 3D, but but uh, those are those are two different beasts there. Yeah, um, I'm curious, Daniel. Like, what was it like for you to step out onto Hyrule Field for the first time? Because uh, I, again, I'm not sure what it was like back then, but I couldn't imagine being faced with like playing something like. Uh, Link to the Past or Super Mario World, and then it's like, dude, I just have this open thing to run and like figure out where to go. What like was it daunting? Was it exciting? Oh, it was absolutely thrilling. Cause like you, you think of how it was on like the NES and SNES. And granted, there was like overworlds, but it's more like you're moving left and right to the next screen, and it feels like mm-hmm. very fluid from area to area. You know this like. You, you wake up, you know, Navi wakes you up, you're in your little tree house, you're beckoned by the great Deku tree, and, like, it feels like a small-scale adventure, even, like, you know, taking on your first dungeon, right, and encountering everything you do there up through your first boss, but then, you know, I, in my kid brain, you know, I, I'd only seen, like, one of the commercials at that point. Um, but I assumed that there was going to be like, you know, a bigger adventure. I could see it on the back of the box, right? I become an adult eventually. I fight Ganon. So like, these are all things that I knew were going to happen going into it. But when you first like step out of the Kokiri forest and you, you know, get hit with that like overworld theme that is just like, it feels new. It has like such a swelling like instrumentation, uh, from Koji Kondo that like just will never, will never leave me. Uh, and then... I, th- I think you get like greeted by uh, Raru, the the well, I, is his name Raru, the Al? Uh, I forget oh, Kapora Kapora, Kapora Kapora, who eventually you know is revealed to be Raru. And you're, but you're just mashing the button to get through his dialogue. Yeah, I'm just like, all right, can we get through this? And he's like, oh, do you need to hear all that again? And you accidentally hit yes, and then you go through it again. But <laughs> oh, you know, see, that was that... total different. <laughs> but at that point, you know, you step out in the field, and like, there's this just tremendous like draw distance right like it's like you see the field you see lon lon ranch you see death mountain you see the castle and you're like where do i start right and mm-hmm. i know i know like a lot of people really do not like the the utilization of of navi as like a navigational system find her really annoying but like you know at that point where we hadn't really had an adventure that big it was helpful at times to be like all right what is my next kind of like marker or, or waypoint in this world that i need to kind of tackle um but yeah, it was that thing where it's like, well, I'm going to go to the castle and see what's up. And, you know, I tried to run as fast as I could in those stubby legs. And then nighttime happens. And that that was like even a tremendous thing to think <laughs> of like day and night cycles in a game like that where I'm like, oh, crap. So there's like literal cause and effect based off of like time of day here. And then, you know, I get stuck out of the castle gates and I'm fighting, <laughs> you know, skeletons. And like it just that little morsel let me know there was just such a bigger adventure ahead of me. And yeah, I, I was thrilled to really, you know, have the fate bestowed upon me by this dying tree and, uh, you know, realize that, you know, I'm more than just this, you know, fairy child, that I am a child of destiny and uh, the hero of time. And that, that felt so big 
for me, right? Because like, you know, at the time, like the biggest story I had in a video game was, you know, Mario saving the princess. And like, we've gotten that iteration so many times, but like to think that like, you know, I would go through three dungeons and come across all these different locales and races and, and people and, you know, the way they would come to know me then and then the way they would remember me as an adult, it just was like so expansive in a way that I'd never encountered. So like whether it was me stepping out on the field, having conversations that led to side quest or whatever, it all felt so adventurous. Like there, there was there was no moment where I was like, like even the small moments feel big. Cause it's just like, I'd never had a game that had like so much dialogue in it either. And I know that's crazy because like, you know, Final Fantasy VII had already been out and RPGs that existed, you know, like for at least a decade plus at that point in the, in the game space, but it's just like, it was new to me. So yeah, it it's definitely something where the adventure kind of kept going. And I, I thought it was really gonna be done pretty quickly after you became an adult. And then it's like, oh wait, that was just the first third of the game, you know? Um, so I, I was thrilled to find out that like, yeah, you step out in the field, there's an adventure, but it, it doesn't quite stop there. It just keeps going. It's It's interesting that you bring up the fact of like, yo, I'm Link, I'm the hero of time, like the chosen hero. Um, I'm curious because you both said like this game hit you at that point where Daniel, like you were moving around a lot and kind of had that broken home um, idea and like atmosphere and Barry, like you said, you were, you were the son of divorced parents. Was it kind of cathartic to be like, I'm the hero of time. And to me, Link has always been more of a, a healer than kind of like a warrior or a hero per se, because like what he does is just like he heals these people and these lands of like their sorrow. Was it, do you think that's a reason why it was kind of impactful or why it meant so much to you guys? Why don't you answer first? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of, you hit on something really important that like I should have led with because I always like kind of view video games as this for me. And I know it's something different for everybody, right? But like coming from broken homes and kind of being a child, not to like bring the mood down, but like a child of abuse, right? Like video games were my escapism and it's just like, it, it made me feel important and, you know, when I didn't always feel important in the real world. Um, and yeah, it... It, it meant a lot to just be like, it, it, I'm this hero, I'm helping people, you know, what I'm doing here feels valuable, you know, uh, even if I'm fighting this, you know, dark prince from the desert, you know, it it felt important to, you know, have this sort of uh, input in the world uh, in, in little ways, whether it's, you know, s- stopping Ganon as a whole, or, you know, saving a family that had, you know, been turned into skull is like you know it's just little things that all felt like really important to me and you know i'd come away from it and it it really just kind of made me want to continue loving video games in that way and, and not even just as a form of like escapism but like you know loving every aspect of it whether it's the music the writing the narrative design so yeah it it made me feel important and then it made me realize the importance of video games kind of like in the same swoop before before you get into it, Barry, I just wanted to, to go off something Daniel said of like it being escapism and something I don't think that people who don't game realize or like, you know, our parents back in the day is that, yes, this is something we play or it provides us with escapism, but it also provides us with 
an insane sense of like community and friendship and that in itself is a sense of escapism right like again i wouldn't have met either of you if it weren't for these games we wouldn't be having this conversation i wouldn't have my job like it it's not just something we play it's not just like i'm staring at the screen mindlessly for hours it's it's something that you know you are link and link helped heal a sense of ourselves back in the day not to get too meta not to get too mark zuckerberg here but (laughs) uh but yeah anyway barry you go ahead uh yeah so i had a little bit of a different experience um because for you ocarina of time was your first foray into uh zelda uh for me you know stepping out into hyrule field was the same majestic because finally we have this big open world and you know Hyrule Field is very different than the previous games. Uh, unlike you, when Kapora started talking, I was so happy, and I'm probably the, one of the only people that was happy because Link's Awakening was the first one that I actually got at launch. It was the first one I owned. Everyone else, you know, the other three I played at friends' houses before I ever owned them. So Link's Awakening was always special to me, and to this day is still my favorite story uh, for Zelda series. So to see Kapora come back like a reference to, to uh, Link's Awakening. It was just like, whoa, hold on, this is so cool. Uh, you know, going from my Game Boy to to the N64. Uh, so I was thrilled to see to see him there, and uh, I never like I never felt playing any of the games. I really never felt like I was Link. I felt like I was aiding Link, like I was an impartial third party helping, um, because mm-hmm. to me, Link has always been his own character and it was kind of like my duty to assist my duty to help and i I think that's the way i view a lot of games um you know i very rarely do i put myself as that character unless it's you know like you're me kind of deal um i always feel like i'm like this impartial third party assisting uh the hero or the the team of heroes uh and it's you know you're talking about the story uh, you mentioned like, oh, Final Fantasy VII is out that by then, and I I had to silently chuckle because you know we, there was a lot of other Final Fantasies before seven came out <laughs> that yeah, that exactly. did all of that, and it's like, well, yeah, but by the time that came out in America, we had three of them at least that came over here, plus four Dragon Quest games, plus other RPGs like Chrono Trigger and Secret of Mana, and you know there's so many other great great titles. So I was like, yeah, this, I knew Zelda wasn't going to be this huge, expansive, superscript story, but it told a lot with less, uh, if that yeah. makes sense. Like yes, it didn't need absolutely. expositional, you know, speeches. It it really, you know, it didn't need to be like, oh yeah, by the way, when this happens, this is what's going to occur. Like you learned from experience. You you figured things out after the fact. Even going forward in the game, when when you know you're you're in a ruined world, you didn't find out what happened until a little bit after that, and you, you slowly pieced the the puzzle together. You found out initially, oh, you know, shit hit the fan while you were sleeping, but then you, as you beat each of the dungeons, it starts to piece things together. Uh, you also mentioned like you thought like the 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 game was gonna be over when you got adult, like you did the three dungeons, and 
if you played a link, uh, link to the past, you're like, you knew, like, oh yeah, this is just the beginning, because Ocarina of Time follows Link to the Past's uh, format, except that instead of seven extra dungeons, it's five extra at the end. Um, but like, like once I saw the color coded things, I'm like, oh hey, they're just doing this again. Okay, like immediately, this is the pendants, just in different forms. Uh, and I was not surprised when when it turned out to be true. And I think that's one of the biggest criticisms to Ocarina of Time is that it did copy Link to the Past in that regards, at least the format. Did Did you play Link to the Past back in the day, Daniel? Yeah, or? I I oh Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I played it after the fact, so like, uh, Ocarina was like the first like one that I played like end to end, and then at, after that, I'm just like, all right, let me go back and kind of dig through the catalog. Like, I was waiting for Majora's Mask to come out, um, but yeah, it it's it's funny Barry too because I remember like my freshman year of college, just like you know raving to my uh, my JRPG obsessive friends at at that time, uh, where I'm like, yeah, Ocarina of Time is just so it's it's brilliant and it's such a trailblazing game and and they're just like but yeah the you know went to the past did it first and i'm like yeah i I get it and and i totally like understand that and it's it's foundational like you know we couldn't have had that uh first without what we got from uh, ocarina of time but like you know at the time you don't you don't know uh and i wasn't as immersed into like i guess like the history and chronology of gaming quite in the same way uh, as i could have been i definitely like took me time to catch up to that when I became a little bit more immersed in like learning about game history and design and, you know, wanting to explore back catalog. So yeah, it, it, it feels silly to say it like, Oh yeah, the game is over when you become an adult. But you know, (laughs) especially when you look at the menus and you're like, wait, there's so many other menu, uh, so many (laughs) other item spots and and songs to learn and things. So, but yeah, my stupid 10 year old brain, it just like, it it couldn't compute it. a, A lot of people don't, realize this holds true for games that are coming out today uh everybody experiences every game at a different time whether they experience it when it comes out or they experience it 10 or 20 years later it also depends on their age i mean you could be 25 years old when a game comes out and not experience it until 45 due to life well look at at me right compared to you guys like i played when i was 20 like i i played when like we said it was pretty much 20 years later when I when I played the game and it had a much different impact on me than it did you guys it doesn't matter like it it doesn't mean somebody cares about a game more or like how ingrained mm-hmm. it is in their life like you said Barry it's just like games just hit at different times and in different ways and that's you know a big part of the show is like it sure we're talking about the memories we have but that doesn't mean you have to be a kid it doesn't mean that exactly it has to be like some long lost game that you played with your friends back in the day like we've done episodes like again daniel and i the first episode we talked about a game that came out less than a year ago like it was but it was so formative it was such a an experience sorry for the little rant there (laughs) no you know and and that's something that i think a lot of people forget and i think it it stems to a lot of elitism unfortunately it's like oh well this is your first experience well i've been playing it for long no it doesn't (laughs) matter everyone has their own experience with games we all started somewhere and the importance is that we all enjoy video games and it brings us together and you know we can really share those experiences because everyone's different everyone has a different take and I think what you said, Daniel, is very important when a game has an influence on you that you go back and experience 
the previous games. I think that is really good. And unfortunately, there are some people who are like, oh, you know, like I don't want to experience the past stuff. Oh, it's older stuff. I don't care. And I think <laughs> that I, I think that's like putting blinders on. Like I think people should experience or at least appreciate where games have come from and acknowledge and be like if someone said oh green of time was my first and oh green of time is the greatest and blah 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 and be like well link to the past did that first no it doesn't count because it came before like you can't you can't just say that like that is an incorrect statement of course it counts like you you have to validate your point <laughs> so it takes both sides you have to appreciate and be open-minded but at the same time respectful to where everybody else enters any particular game series Mm-hmm. I I find it funny because like, you know, th- this game and and the franchise as a whole has such an impact on the industry and people's lives that like a a, a big thing in like the conversations have uh, people have behind the scenes like in my profession is that uh, a game gets released or it's like an indie game and people are trying to sell it to you or like they send you an email to give you a code and they describe the game and everything is either Souls-like or Zelda-like. And it's just funny that like, I'm sure you guys heard it so much growing up, like, oh my God, this game is just like Ocarina of Time or like, oh, it has elements from this game. And now in this day and age, it's like, oh my God, this game is just like Breath of the Wild. It's like, people <laughs> yeah, are yeah. just getting sick of hearing about it. And it's like, it's true. It's just like, it's kind of funny. <laughs> I think it's just how we relate to things, right? We need kind of a, a magnetic north to compare things to. Right? Yeah, of course. Uh, and I, I, I don't know. It might have been a turnoff at some point for people to be like, oh, another Zelda-like. But for me, like... The games that came after that were inspired by Zelda, like I think of like, you know, Ico, Shadow of the Colossus, Okami, like, you know, very similar kind of mechanic designs, puzzle designs and how you progress. And that always excited me to get more games like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was more nutrition for me at the time, for sure. It's just helpful too, like like Barry said, like it's just it's giving credit where credit's due and like it giving a bit of knowledge about the history of games and how they feed into each other. Yeah, maybe you're sick about how every game is like Ocarina of Time or like Dark Souls, but that like, you know, a lot of people, as soon as they hear that, their ears prick up because they love those games. They know that while they might, they're not getting a one for one experience, like it still has elements that they might like about that game. Like if, if I heard nowadays, like, oh, this game has, is heavily inspired by like Persona, I'd be like, yo all right, like, let's see what this is. Because, like, there's so many mechanics in a game like that where they're not often that replicated, but if they were, it's like, I'm going to check it out. Um, I was curious. Uh, what hooked you guys to the story, per se? Because Ocarina of Time and most Zelda games do this thing that I don't like, but I think it works in these games where it's like they kind of info dump right at the start. Like... You know, Ocarina of Time, it's like, these are the gods, and they created the world, and blah, blah, blah. But in this sense, it's like, it's not it's not heavy enough where it's overwhelming. It's just like, it gives you enough where it's like, whoa, all right. Like, what kind of made you guys get into the, the plot aspects? Yeah, I, I mean, it starts with like, you know, a child in a, in a treehouse, right, waking up and, and, and kind of... An environment that we're all familiar with a bedroom and, and just kind of being beckoned to um, learning the fact that there is something such as destiny for this child where you know I think some people 
would like to think, you know, we're, we're the main character or, you know, we, we have a greater purpose and, you know, we, we should. Uh, but this is one of those situations where it's putting you in the pilot seat of that. And when you're kind of getting the morsels of like the, you know, overlapping story and, and kind of grand scheme of things, like I like the way they do it, right? Because it's not like you do get like the beginning info dump from the Dacre tree of like, this is what's happening. Here's the threat. Uh, but then like it kind of comes in pockets after that you have a conversation after about like the creation of Hyrule and the Triforce and the three goddesses and then you know you learn a bit more from every character along the way and you know I I really like the way that they do it it's 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 very tasteful Um, and even kind of learning about like each locale from the characters that you talk to like it's they're small conversations but they do a lot to color the world Um, I'm trying to think, though, because it's, you know, you, you could say the same about every Zelda, right? It's always about the same thing, right? It's always about the hero trying to save the princess, trying to stop the evil Ganon. Um, and I know that gets tired for some people over time, uh, which is why I think the franchise was screaming for a shakeup for a lot of people. Um, but I just, I don't know, I appreciate it. It's it's a very simple story. Um, and it's it's as much about its characters and and how they interact with you and how the world responds than it is just about this like you know a to b story of you know just saving the princess right uh it's full of like twists and turns and and great reveals along the way right where you find out that like oh wow i'm you know i'm not a kokiri i'm a hylian i can age or you know you find out zelda's you know secret identity and it's just like these little things that you know i mean some of them are a little telephone. You could probably see them coming from a mile away. But like, you know, I didn't have a good sense of foreshadowing when I was a kid. So when that stuff was put in front of me, I was like, oh, my God, this is this is wild. Like, I, I can't believe Zelda had been helping me this whole time as, you know, chic. And it was just it was great. Like, I, I appreciate a game that does world building in subtle ways as much as it does like overt ways. Uh, and this gives you a little bit of everything. And I think that's really fundamental uh, and important. Yeah, the uh, I've never minded, you know, exposition dumps at the start to set the scene, and uh, for me it was just seeing where they were going with this, uh, because this is so early in the whole Zelda timeline, which is something that, you know, I loved piecing together before they made the official one, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just cool because it was like all right you know zelda one and two it clearly happened back to back and then zelda three you know like the past is in the, in the is in the past and link's awakening happens right after that so where does ocarina of time fit in and uh you know the, the all the the story about the creation of the world and the goddesses like that was just so cool because we knew about the triforce i mean we, we had two pieces in the first game we got courage in the second <clears throat> then we have to see you know, oh, well, they were separated. Now in the past, we see it together and how powerful it is. But where does it come from? How do you have such a powerful relic without any explanation of how it exists? And this is, the you know, the fifth game is finally explaining how it came to be. And to me, that was just like, this is one of those missing pieces that I've been looking mm-hmm. for. So I really wanted to see going forward. Like, the Sheik thing totally threw me off guard, too. Like, I, I did not expect that. Like, whoa. You know, like the only time I ever saw Zelda truly being a badass was in the cartoon growing up. 
because mm-hmm. there she actually fought. <laughs> you know, <laughs> otherwise she just got kidnapped. So I was like, oh, cool. So we're seeing her, you know, being awesome. And then of course she gets kidnapped right after that. So uh, <laughs> got to keep those tropes alive. It's inevitable. But it's inevitable. But yeah. you know, and to see. You know, because even even when you you look at the story of like Link to the Past, right? The Triforce exists. It's just it's there. Uh, obviously, Link, Zelda, and and Ganon were tied to it, but we didn't know how. And in the first game, you know, Zelda broke apart the wisdom, which was hers. Well, we didn't realize it was hers. Ganon had power and was looking for wisdom, but we didn't realize that he would purposely have power it's like it felt more like he stole it you know at the time and then of course link goes for courage in the second one but now we get the basis of the the triforce actually resides in the three it's the first game that truly puts the three of them on this path and and because it it is set in the past we can use that to explain the first four games a lot better and, and the connection between the, the, the Triforces uh, then. You know, why did Zelda have wisdom? Why did Ganon have power? And why did Link have to fight himself to get courage? Um, it all makes sense in that regards. Uh, and I love that. I love that they really fleshed out the story. And uh, they continued to, obviously, going forward. Oh, as as a as a lover of like the the franchise and the idea of like the seeding of of the Triforce and everything, like how how important was the idea of like the Triforce being in one place and like the sacred temple for you and the idea of like you know the sages protecting it and then the idea of it like being stolen and broken, like was that like really important at the time for like Zelda chronology and the timeline or was it just something that you're just like wow this is happening and I have to just kind of like figure out where it goes. I think, you know, it was it was more like just trying to figure it out because it was so early. Like, the only other time we ever saw the Triforce together was in Link to the Past. And it was like, or is this... It, trying, to, trying to make the parallels. Like, is this the Sacred Realm, the same place as we saw it before? And and we still didn't realize... You know, it was, it was through Ocarina of Time we realized that the three were connected. But at the time, when you first go to the Sacred Realm, it's right at the beginning of, you know, the Adult Link timeline. So... You you you're just like wait you you, was, you the, the Triforce was there even when they were kids the Triforce was already in the Sacred Realm so it made sense as this object that existed and we now we knew why but then when it was tied to the three of them and even though Ganon completed the, the you know had the completed Triforce and was able to to wish or Ganondorf and uh, as he was known in that game uh, was able to make his wish. The Triforce itself then separated again, and it went into all three individual, which is why at the end of the fight, you know, everybody puts up their hands and their respected Triforce glows. Uh, I think that was a really cool part, uh, going into the lore of, oh, you know, the whole Triforce can be physically together without the three, but at the same time, when a wish is made, it can also go back to those three. And uh, I love how, even going forward, you know, the they Skyward Sword really um, paints the picture as the first game of why mm. that is. Yeah, I, I was actually going to bring that up because I just wanted to say, like, like you, like you said, Barry, the when they made that decision that the three pieces of the Triforce like reside within in them, and that this sort of conflict was going to 
go on forever with all their uh, incarnations, that story beat is fucking fire. That is like such a sick <laughs> idea. And it, it, it's kind of like this time loop thing without it being a time loop. And uh, like you said, again, like that when Skyward Sword, it was, you know, they said this is going to be the start. Like you're going to find out why these heroes and why Ganon are sort of on this unbreakable path of fighting eternally. And then, you know, in, in Breath of the Wild where it's like it's so either far down the line or it's to the point where you know ganon is so distraught and filled with despair that he's like not even himself anymore it's like i don't know it's just sick it's and what i guess what i'm trying to get to is that for me and again it sounds like kind of you guys too is that it's not necessarily like the plot like you kind of said daniel like it does kind of just boil down to chosen hero saves the princess it's the lore and the world building and like the stories that evolve outwards from there. Because to me, Zelda's always been this world that definitely gives you a lot. Like it gives you more than just crumbs, but it just leaves always like that little bit where you're like, I just wish I had a bit more information about this one thing. Because it's like, it's so cool. I just want to know more. And there's, you know, there's so much stuff like that. Like, even in something like Twilight Princess, where it is, like, confirmed that the Stalfos is Link from Ocarina of Time. But it's like, okay, but what happened there? Even, like, I wish I could see what happened back in the day to an even greater degree. Because, like, it's such a cool transformation. Again, ugh, There's this... a lot of holes <laughs> where, yeah. where they could fit new games. Yeah, exactly, exactly, where it's like, man, they could just flesh this out and make it into its whole own story, which is sick, you know? Like, like you said, it'd be so cool if there was another sequel to something like Majora's Mask, where Link just, like, is this forgotten hero who, like you said, he, he couldn't convey the, the lessons that he learned in his own lifetime, and, like, he's such a tragic hero in the end. Um... Hey, why not? But uh, to get into more lighter things, uh, <laughs> Barry, what's your favorite like area of the game or like species to kind of interact with? Uh, I mean, I think from a gameplay perspective, I just loved Hyrule Field just because it was. I love wide open areas where you could run and explore. Um, mm -hmm. Preferred to like corridors. Uh, species has you know always been the Zora. Uh, I loved them from the beginning. And especially, you know, in the Link to the Past where they help you get the flippers. And and then, you know, just to see them in 3D and see them evolve. I have always thought they looked cool. So in Majora's Mask, it was also my favorite transformation as well. Uh, before we get it, uh, into your answer, Daniel, uh, a little story with this is that when I first played Ocarina of Time and I got to Death Mountain and the Gorons, um, and you have to play Surya's song to i can't remember his name but he's the goron dude and he starts busting down i am not exaggerating when i said i almost pissed my pants laughing i i don't know why i found it so funny it's just like one second it's just normal and then the next he's just like absolutely busted it's just so funny to me 
but yeah it's the way they frame it too though with like the camera where they do like all these like different angles with it and he's like just so like overtaken by song he's like oh yeah this is it this is hot (laughs) he loves it so good and like i said earlier the the girl i was dating at the time was like watch me play this and when i started like crying from laughing so hard like she just didn't get it she was like she was just baffled that i found it so funny but even now when i still see it like it makes me chuckle (laughs) what about you daniel what's your favorite um i'm gonna do it in two parts i think my favorite area as a kid is probably like Zoro's Domain and like Lake Hylia, that split, because uh, it's just cool to go back and forth between the two areas. Um, and I, I don't know, I've always really loved like water levels in games. I know that's a, an unpopular opinion for a lot of people. Um, every underwater Mario level is always going to be one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, it was just cool to go back and forth and just kind of see how like those two areas were connected where you can kind of like you know, in Zoro's domain, dive down and it connects you to Lake Hylia. And it was just like a really cool connection. Um, and even to just have like continuous interplay with like uh, Princess Ruta the entire time was pretty cool. Um, and then I think as like an adult, my favorite area um, is probably Gerudo Desert. Cause I just, I love getting to go to that side of the map finally. Cause it, it's one of the areas that's kind of like cordoned off. And you can't really like fully explore it until you get your horse. Um, and I just like the spirit temple is my favorite temple. So like that, that area always like really excites me to go to. And then there's just like a lot of cool lore dumps there with like, you know, the, the thieves and, uh, and Ganon. And I, I don't know, it's, it's a really cool enriching part to, to get to. Um, and I, I, I love it. Uh, yeah, the whole, like, the desert thing was always so, again like you said like you can't even get to that area in the map as and when you're younger it's like i'm exploring this area but like what's <laughs> over there and that's such like a big draw of ocarina of time like you guys said like stepping out in the hyrule field for the first time and it's like whoa i can go there and there and it's like what's over there <laughs> And again, even now when that happens in games, people are like, oh, it's like Dark Souls. You can, you know, you see somewhere and you can just go there. But it's like, nah, man, like that's definitely been done before. And it's such a it's such a novel concept in gaming, but it it leads to this like huge sense of progression and adventure, even though like uh, in Ocarina of Time, like you go back to places, but it's after, you know, that big plot revelation and and things really shake up uh but uh, can we talk about that for a second yes (laughs) like the the time jump like i i don't know i think that's the coolest thing and like some of the visual storytelling you get from that of like this ravished land and like having to basically go and rehabilitate like every tribe that like ganon had taken over and done his own thing with is just it feels really like important to be doing that like i think of like going to the fire temple and and saving all the gorons that are basically like food fodder for valvagia and i'm just like i'm i'm really helping here like it feels like you're really trying to undo all the damage that ganon did in that in that seven years and it's so cool Mm -hmm. what uh yeah barry what did you feel when you first like got to that section uh because again, I don't, I don't know if something like that is in Link to the Past, but it's like, you know, you're stuck in the Sacred Realm and then you wake up and you get to see Hyrule again and it's just decimated, dilapidated. Um, like, 
Yeah, yeah, again, another parallel to a link to the past. Uh, you know, when you when you go for Aghanim and you get sent to the dark world, and you are a bunny, you can't even attack, and you gotta figure out your way uh, out uh, out of the dark world, and you know everything is in ruins. The the you know uh, Kakariko Village is in ruins, and Hyrule Castle is totally different and it's just it's a panic mode so when that happened and i became like the adult at first i was like oh cool you know now i'm an adult and i for me i was expecting something different again but i wasn't expecting to the degree like when you first step out of you know temple of time and you literally see death mountain in the background like exploding yeah. and you see like the temple is like all just like destroyed and like broken down and you're like holy crap it's only been seven years but man it looks like a century has passed and then you go into hyrule market and hyrule market is just destroyed filled with redads and i'm like oh oh shit really hit the fan while i was sleeping and, and of course yeah, figuring out what to do how how do i fix things and and i feel like you said going back to the tribes uh that was really cool um because there weren't like civilizations like that and, you know in the earlier games it was the hylians and you know zoras were mainly enemies except for a few and uh that was it you know the the gorons didn't exist until ocarina of time and the gerudo didn't exist until ocarina of time uh and the you know Kakarokis, and they didn't exist either. It was all just Hylians, so to really see all these different places you now had to help the civilizations, how they you know, the Zoras were frozen and the, you know, the Gorons were, you need to, to free them from the, the fire and the, you know, the Death Mountain and just assisting it was just an, an incredible experience because you, now I really felt like I'm doing something. I'm no longer a kid just running around a field having fun. Uh, now it's shit hit the fan. I really need to, to step up my game. And I think that's where, if you look at the bosses, um, they're a little more meaningful. You know, Phantom Ganon is super meaningful. You have the mini boss of, of you know Shadow Link, uh, which was super meaningful. Uh, a lot of that, it's just... It's really interesting because you, you really feel like the weight of the world is now on your shoulders as opposed to, I'm on a whimsical adventure that, that a tree sent me on. <laughs> is is there that sense of like when you step out and you see the re-deads like in, in Castletown, was there that sense of like, damn, I fucked up? Like, I, I no, I didn't feel I fucked up. <laughs> Yeah. You're like, nah, he fucked up. I, this, I'm washing my hands of this. It's his fault. <laughs> well, no, I never didn't even feel Link screwed up. I think Link was was coerced into doing this. Uh, yeah. Ganondorf just took advantage of it. Uh, it's it's much the same way as what happened to Link to the past. Uh, you know, it's the same kind of deal. Uh, and that happens a lot in Zelda games. If you notice, you're led to go right and you have to go right. And of course, someone screws you over and then you realize maybe I shouldn't have gone right. Uh, and Daniel, did you did you have that kind of sense of, I guess, despair afterwards? Like, what did you feel stepping out? 
I mean, yeah, similarly, I didn't feel like it was my fault at all. Uh, I'm going to blame the adults in this one. Uh, they led me to this <laughs> journey and I felt duped. And I mean, it's even the scene like where you're in you're in the sacred realm and like you see Ganon like laughing in the background. You're like, shit, he he orchestrated this. He led me to basically get like, you know, the ocarina and, and, and kind of gather the sacred stones for him. And you feel like a pawn up into that point. Um, and then, you know, spilling out into the world, like the, the marketplace is such a stark contrast to like where you start with it, right? You know, you have people dancing in the street, you have dogs, you have the happy mass salesman, you have all this stuff and it just redeads as far as the eye can see. And then you're like, well, maybe the castle's a little better and you go and it's like this floating island that Ganon has just taken over and, and made his own thing. And it's just like, well, crap, I, it, it kind of sends you into fight or flight mode. You're like, well, now I gotta go. I gotta figure out like the first place I can go to and I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna go back to the forest and, you know, see, you know, my friends and, and see if they can lead me on on the right path. Um, but I, I just love like kind of the, the inverse world that's kind of there. And granted, like it, it has been done and, and linked to the past before, but it just, it was so exciting to see it in a 3D space, right? Especially with like some of the cutscenes and some of the, the pre-rendered backgrounds and how it all is just kind of like laid out in front of you. Mm. Um, my favorite thing to do, this is always the first thing I do when I become an adult is I get my horse. Um, Cause it's just like, I'm not doing anything until I dupe Ingo and get my horse back. <laughs> And it's, yeah, I, I'm actually replaying it right now uh, on the Nintendo Switch Online expansion pack deal. Um, and that was like the first thing I was like most stoked to do. So, um, And do you kind of agree with what Barry said of like the bosses being more meaningful after you wake up as an adult? Like who is your favorite boss fight? Uh, I'd say for me, Bongo Bongo, just because so many of the other boss fights were similar to other previous bosses. I mean, Goma's been in there before, Dodongo's been in there before, mm -hmm. um, but Bongo Bongo was just so out there, <laughs> so completely out there versus every other boss, I think, in the game. And uh, it, it took me for a loop because I'm like, oh, what's going to be in the Shadow Temple boss? Is it going to be something spooky? And it definitely didn't expect that. Well, and the backstory or like hidden subtext of Bongo Bongo, I don't remember it that well, but I remember reading up on it and it's like, it's actually like terrifying. Like it's actually super creepy. <laughs> uh, what about you, Daniel? The insinuation too that you can hear bongo bongo's music playing through like the entirety of the shadow temple is pretty mm -hmm. creepy <laughs> yeah um let's see i i definitely agree with barry's point that the bosses feel like more important as an adult because like you know phantom gan is like this is a puppet that ganon put out there you know from the dark realm to basically stop you you know you fight dark link at a point which is you know you basically overcoming yourself which is again something that the other games have done but it was just cool to have this mirrored fight and like you know figure out the best way to take them down um i think probably for me it was it was twin rova because i really like the the mechanic and idea of like using the shield to like absorb like their elemental damage and then just kind of deflect it back on the opposite um yeah that was that was pretty neat and that's kind of like i don't know the last fight i typically do in the game because i know some people might do like shadow temple last or spirit temple last depending but yeah that's always the one that i that i go for uh last in my run yeah same 
Twin Roba uh, actually yeah. is a cool character too because she she evolves. I mean, she appears in other Zelda games too, unlike yeah. a lot of the other bosses. I think I'll just agree with Bear. My favorite is probably Bongo Bongo as well. But uh, like you said, Daniel, big big part of that dungeon is also the music, which is you know so synonymous with the Zelda franchise as a whole and this game because it's in the title like Ocarina of Time. It's all about playing this musical magical instrument and maybe fucking around with time a little bit but um <laughs> i guess like each song you kind of learn in the game is attributed with this like very special moment like learning saria's song in like the forest when she's telling you how like this is her getaway to like de-stress and and to get away from anxiety or when you learn Zelda's lullaby and it's like right after you promised to save her and the world and stuff. Um, what was like your guys, a favorite song that you learn or that you hear in the game and your favorite pivotal moment? Ah, uh, you want to take that one first? I got to think about this. <laughs> yeah. Favorite song, favorite pivotal <laughs> moment. Well, how do you, how do you mean for a pivotal uh, moment? Do you mean like story reveal or? I guess just mean like something that's definitely mo- me- meant to be like impactful in a sense. Like it, do- and it doesn't have to be like one the same. I'm not saying it has to be like meeting mm-hmm. Saria again in the, in the forest, and it has to be your song. Like it can be like Zelda's lullaby and like the Song of Storms or something. Like I guess it's mm-hmm. a two part question. I think okay. for me, then impactful moment was probably freeing Epona. Like just the the act of you know, sticking it <laughs> to them and just, <laughs> just like, no, I'm taking, taking my horse and I'm going home. Uh, I just, just something about it. It was just so freeing, especially cause you had it, you know, you had opponent as young link. And then when you get to adult link, you lose it. So it, the game gave you mobility, then it took it away from you. So you have to reclaim it. So I loved that. And I think for music, uh, just the, I had to go with Zelda's lullaby in terms of musically in terms of use you know the the song of storms or or the daylight switching song which i can't remember now song of time not song of time I think it's just the the sun song yeah sun song yeah. Uh, just for use i loved that but but in terms of musically uh zelda's lullaby uh, i always thought it was just a pretty melody it was impactful to her and to the whole series and then it got to a new level when Skyward Sword came out because I love the Bow to the Goddess, which is Zelda's lullaby mm. backwards. And I think that's so cool. Yeah, it's a nice touch. <laughs> Barry kind of mentioned too, like like you said, you love getting the, the horse. You love getting a Pona afterwards. But I'll, I'll start with, uh, I guess, favorite song. Um, I, I, I'll stick to, to Barry's point that I love Zelda's lullaby because it's, it's one of those things too where like it's it's a song that you learn that becomes a game mechanic unto itself that you have to use to like solve puzzles and you know kind of help people understand whose side you're on and I, I love that about it. Um, song of Time is always a nice touch too because it's like I, I love what they do with it and uh, in Majora's Mask in terms of all the different inversions of it which is really neat. Um, but I think my favorite songs come in, in the latter half of the game because they do so much more with like the face buttons and like kind of expanding the compositions. And I love that like every time you get a new one, whether it's like, you know, the Minuet of Forest, Bolero of Fire, Serenade of Water, it's like you're given them by Sheik and it's kind of like this duet and it's like really, I don't know, there's something really 
it's, it's going to sound corny, but there's something really beautiful about that harmony between the two. And it's at that point that I probably should have seen that she was Zelda. But yeah, I always like those those moments. But I think uh, I think Serenade of Water is probably my favorite uh, second part of the, the game song. Um, and then most impactful moment, honestly, the the climax and culmination of just reuniting all the sages uh like you know it, it becomes kind of rinse and repeat after a while of like yeah you know we're gonna go to a temple we're gonna take down the boss we're gonna get the medallion uh i'm gonna reunite with somebody that i knew as a, as a child and that's pretty cool but it's just that kind of pivotal moment of like okay cool i've gathered all these people who helped me as a child and now we're gonna take down ganon i always thought that was really really awesome i remember in a in an interview with miyamoto he said like that was the point of uh the first part of, like the point of being childhood link and the first three uh gems that you collect is like to build up this life that link has and um the relationship he builds and then to literally just like rip it away and make the like the last two thirds of the game like more impactful and like how devastating it is to see hyrule in that in that state of despair um but uh, not to be boring, but mine is also like Zelda's lullaby. It was kind of funny that, you know, like you posted in the chat beforehand, Daniel, that like I also have the same ocarina and like it was the first thing I learned <laughs> how to play on it. Um, oh, nice. And I remember because I, I know people are, are like yes or no on this game, but I love, love, love uh, Age of Calamity. And at the end of the game, I do too. the little guardian dude like plays Zelda's lullaby in such a like good tone and it honestly like just made me tear up and it was just like Ugh. it you know it's it's uh I feel like it's it's that one thing other than like the main theme that is so prevalent in Zelda's history just from like a musical standpoint um Speaking of that, and, uh, you probably didn't have this effect on Ocarina of Time, uh, neither of you maybe, but for I remember it being very controversial and I was really quite upset that the Zelda main theme is not in Ocarina of Time. It's the only game that didn't have it, and that's the main reason they put it in the field, Termina Field for Majora's <laughs> Mask, is because people were really upset, because how is that not in the game? That is Zelda's main theme. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, Final Fantasy Thirteen does not have the Final Fantasy theme in it as well. I know they're not the same yeah, the games at all, theme. but yeah. No, when you have um, a, a theme like that, it should be there. Um, these last two points are, are kind of big, but I know we're on a time constraint. Um, now nah, we, we can go a little bit past. Let's do them. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, Daniel. Like, how do you? kind of relate to Link's tales of hardship in adulthood. At least that's the way I see it, because, like, Link is a sad character, in my opinion. Like, he is the tragic hero in so many senses, because he gives up his own life, and he gives up, in many ways, like, his dreams and his desires for responsibility. Like, he, he has the world on his shoulders, and sometimes that's not only what being an adult is but sometimes just being a dude because like sometimes mm -hmm. you know people just expect you to take the brunt of things and 
to just not say anything and to to kind of suffer silently but yeah i think that's maybe where i got a lot of my silent stoicism uh from uh i know other people can attribute it to cloud strife or you know uh squall from final fantasy 8 but yeah it, it was you know i don't know why uh growing up i was like oh i'm gonna burden myself with the weight of the world because i took that on in a video game but i think it was just one of those things where you know because it hit at such that pivotal point in my like adolescence and you know i didn't have a lot of friends up until that point and i just saw like you know even though it is kind of a, a tragic insight, you know, you know, he's not going to end up with the princess, you know, like he has to leave, <laughs> you know, he has to basically move on from Hyrule. And it's, you know, it's a, a sad moment for him, but it's also a prosperous moment for everybody else. Um, mm -hmm. And that kind of final credit scene. But yeah, I, I definitely like, you know, saw him wanting to help out people, every way that he can and and that's you know it's it's noble uh, i think link is a very noble uh silent protagonist in, in everything he does and you know he doesn't question it at all and uh i don't always you know believe with that idea you know not questioning uh, things that are asked of you because like i think to an extent you shouldn't blindly do and follow but you know i just mm -hmm. i like the idea of him being the sort of like uh, herald of hope and uh, change for people and you know i definitely modeled a lot of what i tried to do you know as a, a good person after him uh but yeah i don't know it's uh it's tough because they're definitely like a lot of characters that throughout like you know pop culture that i take inspiration from but i think for from him specifically it's just the wanting to do good and, and help where i can and i think to your other point like i i don't think he has like the most tragic of endings in, in this game there are definitely others all those where it feels a bit more like forlorn um there's something hopeful almost about the idea of him like leaving you know hyrule at the end and going on a new adventure um but yeah i don't i don't know that's a it's one that i haven't thought of too much to be honest so see i'm gonna you? i'm gonna say um it is more tragic because he is going off on a new adventure but remember the adventure he's going off on he's looking for Navi. Sure. You know, yeah. he's looking for his companion that has been with him through thick and thin for so long. And now he wants to go find her. And he never does. And that's yeah. really sad <laughs> when you think about it that way. He also has to leave Zelda knowing everything that's going on and, and put faith there. But it's mm -hmm. his destiny because he, you know, the Triforce of Courage is bonded to him. He is... He is, you know, supposed to be courageous. He's supposed to go out there. He's, he is destined to be the hero, and uh, he may not always agree with it. I mean, we really don't know his inner monologues. He just goes along with it, and uh, he he takes that responsibility. And I think that is a good, uh, you know, outlook on life. Because if you if if you think about it, life it'd be fantastic if it was all fun and games, right? We go playing video games and we're having fun with our friends and. We're not a care in the world. That'd be wonderful. But life is not like that. Life is filled with unfortunate hardships. And a lot of them are out of our control. But what do we have to do? We have to handle them. We have to deal with them. We have to tackle the tasks at hand. So in that way, we're all courageous. We all, you know, have to go above and beyond, even that sometimes out of our comfort zone, just to tackle the daily, you know avenues and and obstacles of life so there is that big mirror where you know we may have to go to work and oh we got to go fill up 
the tank before we get home. Yeah, what an inconvenience, brah. And, and he's like, well, I guess I got to go up Death Mountain now because that's just what I have to do. <laughs> um, yeah, to me, to kind of, I guess, push back a little on what you said, Daniel, is that I don't think Link's story in this game, like, you know, it, it the story itself isn't, exactly the darkest in the Zelda universe and Link isn't always like the most outwardly sad but I think uh, a lot of it is kind of in subtext and some stuff like revealed in later games like like I said uh, about in Twilight Princess when like you, you meet the hero spirit and you find out that it is Link from Ocarina of Time and you know he's a stealth for a reason, and he and he. It's even a direct quote from the game that he's like, "Yeah, I, I couldn't like convey what I learned to the rest of the world, and like I wasn't really a hero in my time. I was just a nobody." So, I don't know. I just find that like incredibly depressing. Not that like, again, the good deeds aren't less valiant because they go unseen, but just the fact that. Like you said, Barry, like Link does all this stuff and the one person who was there the whole time, Navi, just like inexplicably and for no reason just leaves and he goes off to like go look for her and he doesn't find her. And I don't know, like something about that and something that I think uh, some writers in video games need to realize is that your game can still be child friendly and still have like you, you know an, an understandable story but it doesn't always have to be like you can still have emotionally mature themes and aspects and like it's still going to be for kids and for everyone and i think this game is the perfect example of that because like you know a kid could play the end of this game and just be like oh the adventure's over and like oh navi's floating away and it's all cool and cute and i'm happy i beat the game and then, like, maybe as an adult, you're like, God damn. <laughs> you're like, you know, your your <laughs> tears are coming down your face while the credits are rolling. Or, or again, you realize some of this hidden subtext or stuff like that. Um, now I'm kind of curious. Did you ever play Link's Awakening? I did not. You need to play Link's Awakening. And then we could have a bigger conversation. About it. <laughs> <laughs> it is like one of the only Switch exclusives I don't own. So I need to get on that. I think there might be a Black Friday sale. So you might convince me to get it. Um, it's a great remake. It's a must play for sure. I guess the last <laughs> question. And something that, again, we've already really gone over. Is like, in the end, do you think it's a sad game? Because, there's again, there is so much... There's not a lot of happy stuff, I guess. Like, you know, the game starts by the great Deku Tree dying and uh, Hyrule being taken over and, you know, going out and seeing the Rededs. And it's like, yes, everything gets corrected in the end. And But again, even in the end, there's still like that sad, those sad moments, sad uh, subtext. I think you said it best. It is a game with sad subtexts. However... If you look at the larger picture of the timeline, it is a terribly tragic game because, you know, Ocarina of Time is the split. So you have the child timeline and you have the adult timeline. The child timeline, Link goes off, never finds Navi, saves Termina, 
and then is turns into a Stavos where Twilight Princess happens. And the adult timeline, he's no longer there. And then the whole world gets flooded because Ganondorf comes mm-hmm. back and he's no longer there to protect it. So everything you know about the, that Hyrule is pretty much destroyed by the flood or the Twilight Realm. <laughs> it's pretty sad. Yeah, when you put it in context of all of that. <laughs> Daniel's like, quit ruining my this game for me, guys. Like, I just want to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, in, in my uh, kind of conveyance of that, I'm just kind of taking it as, as a game unto itself, right? Before there was that bigger timeline that had been etched out after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at it in the grand scheme of it, it you know, <laughs> there's no good kind of forking point at that point. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I did forget also, there's a third part too. The one where Link dies and fails. Yeah. <laughs> that branches off here too. Yeah. <laughs> to give very closing thoughts, like, do you guys have anything else you really want to talk about or maybe something that you wish was better in the game um, or kind of the lasting impacts this game has had on you? Uh, what about you, Barry? I mean, for me, I wish that we were able to get all the Yura Zelda features that were promised to us back then when we were all mm-hmm. eagerly anticipating the 64DD coming out. Uh, it was great that we got Master Quest all those years later, but that wasn't the the full extent. It's not the same as Yura Zelda. Uh, I would love to see that fleshed out. But at the same time, I'm happy moving on, and I don't think, I don't think Ocarina of Time should be revisited, if ever again. And I only say that because as great as it is, you know, there's a lot more Zelda games to focus on if they're going to do remakes, uh, which which it already did get a remake with Ocarina of Time 3D. <clears throat> but uh, which, which, like Daniel I, said, it's like it, it's a perfect remake. Like it's so good. Oh, it's so good. But that like that doesn't need anything else at that point. I think mm-hmm. it'd be better for them to move on. Uh, and tell more stories like I would rather them instead tell that in-between story between Majora's Mask and and Twilight Princess as one final tale of the hero of time and and what happens to him maybe he eventually does find Navi I would love to to see that that's what I would like to see as for lasting impact I mean you can see it in virtually every video game you play now that's in 3D some (laughs) aspect from Ocarina of Time is there and uh yeah, it's 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 a masterpiece. It's definitely a mas- masterpiece for its time, and it's a masterpiece of all time. But it's one of those that its impact on you greatly depends on when you played it and your age. And you know the impact for for you know you you're 20 years old, 20 years after it came out and you just played it, has less of an impact, or I shouldn't say less of an impact, a different impact than for Daniel, who was eight years old, you know, which was a different impact than me at 16, and for everybody else in between. Uh, Everybody has their own story, everybody has their own impact, Um, but I think it's, honestly, it's one of those things where I'm a firm believer of classics are classics for a reason and should be experienced uh, and appreciated but we shouldn't let classics hold us back from evolution. I'll start with personal impact, because, um, you know, this is a game that I revisit, you know, every few years or, you know, at this point it's been uh, since I originally played the 3DS version. Uh, but this game feels like coming home for me. It's very much, you know, 
comfort food. Um, it is the reason why I love video games and think about them on the level that I do. Uh, it's the reason why I had any interest in, you know, starting a podcast and, uh, you know, talking about things on more of a critical level because there, there's just so much to think about with it and so much to dissect. Um, it's the reason why I wanted to get into making video game music. Uh, you know, I have a Zelda tattoo. <laughs> My final recital for college was a Zelda medley. So this is something that has been very like influential uh, and, and has stayed with me for, for a very long time. And, you know, I, I shudder to think that like you have probably a lot of people who got into Zelda, you know, with Breath of the Wild, and I know that's a bad way to say it because like wherever, whatever your onboarding point, you know, if you're a fan, that's great, you know, I'm I'm glad you're here, but it it feels like starting at that point and then going back, like for a lot of people, this time hasn't been kind to this game, and like they just <laughs> like that era of like 3D polygonal graphics, it's really hard for people to like sit through the game, and it's it's a bummer because it's you know it's it's such a special game you know we're, we're coming on the 23rd anniversary of it and it's just you know i i hope that people could maybe just you know drop the blinders and just appreciate it for what it is and, and kind of see the lasting impact and legacy it's had um do i want to see a remake of it you know I, I, there's always that kind of uh in progress uh unreal engine build that's been worked on for years at this point and you know it's it's <laughs> yeah. a cool like test idea for what what could be and you know I, I would love to see it but you know i think um just kind of seeing the expanded lore that like you know wind waker skyward sword twilight princess and breath of the wild gave us i just want more of that right i want more of an enriching kind of moving forward for the series um i'm i'm kind of sad that like Breath of the Wild is probably going to be the blueprint for for the franchise going forward in terms of like traditional uh, layout because I really do miss like the the dungeons and you know the progression of getting weapons and that the Metroidvania like elements of it. But you know even with that, I'm still excited to see what they're going to continue to do with the franchise and how they're going to iterate it and make it feel like you know modern game design because like for the longest time like the games just felt like iterations of themselves with like slight, uh, slight tweaks here and there. Um, whereas like Breath of the Wild was the push of like, let's make kind of modern open world game design. And I think that's really refreshing. Um, but I would love to see, I, like like Barry wants, I want to see that kind of jumping point between Majora and Twilight Princess because that's like my favorite era uh, outside of Ocarina of Time. How, how devastating would it be to like you know that game comes into his existence and like this throughout that story it's like you have to watch link like slowly become become that stalfos and it's like he loses his kind of humanity and his mind a little bit or like slowly forgets about the people in his life or the experiences he had Ooh, that would be so cool man <laughs> it'd be dark yeah, really, um, i love it uh Again, for me, my last few thoughts is that to kind of mirror what both of you said, like this is one of the most important games of all time. It should be lauded as a masterpiece and uh, all credit should be given. I know I personally don't have as much of a connection, like a deep connection as you guys. Um but the game still means a lot to me, both just as a, you know, as a games journalist and as a player. And, and like I said, that game did hit much later in life for me when I was, you know, 20 and 
uh, you know, I was back in college and, and I guess the reason, you know, I, I laughed when you said, you, you know, you should have married that girl when Barry, you said that is that I played that <laughs> game while, while like that relationship was crumbling, like before my eyes. And I think that's, you know, we associate the things that we're doing, mm-hmm. like what's happening in life to the games we're playing. And, and mm-hmm. it, you know, so desperately gives that escapism that, you know, you guys went into. And I guess <laughs> I had it too. Maybe we're yep. just saying that this game is always associated <laughs> with sadness and we need to stop there. But <laughs> No, you know, it's it's one of those things where video games is a medium. And it's not just video games, TV, movies, books, all of that is escapism. It, it, all of that exists mm-hmm. so that people can escape their real life issues and go into a fantasy. I mean, you look at one of the most popular genres of television that has existed for so long, and that's a soap opera, which was created mm-hmm. specifically for housewives who are home so that they can escape <clears throat> their reality and live this fantasy, which is why they're so over the top and and crazy. And it's like, oh, I can experience all this stuff without having to live it myself. And I think the same with video games. It allows us to do things that as humans we're incapable of doing. And even, you know, if we were capable of it, how many of us would have that energy? I mean, shit, how many games do we play? Zelda Ocarina of Time is a perfect example where you just run around for, like, 20 minutes. Like, how many of us would be dying on the ground whenever we reach our destination, gasping for breath, holding our stomach, and, like, we need, like, give give us, like, 20 minutes to recover? Because it's reality and games are totally different. So having that Mm -hmm. escapism especially to escape something that's going on that is negative in your life is great that you have that because not everybody gets that type of escape and they're forced to live in situations that they're not comfortable with and that has whole different other ramifications so it's wonderful that this game seems to have worked for all three of us to escape some negative situations going on in our life to a, a happier place where redeads have taken over the town and, you know, <laughs> volcanoes are exploding and fish people are frozen solid. But still, it allows us to escape into this fantasy and, and to go on this grand adventure. And that is forever important. Oh man, it's, it's, you know, like you said, it, it's so ingrained with emotion and, and all three of us had that journey. And I think, uh, again, not to just go on and on, but it's, it's relatable. Like it, I think a lot of people have this notion of, for me, even though I was going through those hardships and life was really, really difficult back then just like Link, what I wouldn't give back, like what I wouldn't give to just go back and to like correct my wrongdoings and to see those people again. And just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm rambling. Want that second and I'm, chance. I'm, <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm also happy for now. I'm happy that the three of us get to have this conversation. And I think in a sense, to me at least, it was incredibly cathartic and therapeutic. And thank you to the both of you. Seriously, this was like, I know I say this a lot. I think this was the best (laughs) fucking episode I've done. This was so good. 
and you guys did fantastic and i'm thankful that you both came and did this with me mm. thank the honor is all us. ours i'd say yeah. yeah thank you for having us uh daniel where can where can they find you uh, well, I'll plug my podcast because I didn't do it at the front. Um, I do a podcast with my roommate called The Save Room. You can find us on Twitter at Save Room Show, uh, on SoundCloud, uh, soundcloud.com slash The Save Room Show, and, you know, podcasting services everywhere, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes. Um, I don't do regular streaming anymore, but if you wanted to check it out, uh, I'm a variety streamer. I stream over at twitch.tv slash Dungeons and Daniels. Um, a lot of stuff on PlayStation because, um, I do a lot of native streaming, so it's anything from like Tetris Effect to Soulsborne games to like Assassin's Creed to Hades. So it's it's literally like whatever I'm feeling that week. All right, and thank you again, Daniel. Uh, I'm sure we'll have you on in the future again. <laughs> As always, the one thing in life that is certain is death, taxes, and Daniel coming back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Barry, are you gonna break the podcast in the seasons? Because I'll come back for season two. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll do that. I'll do that. For me, you can find me on Twitter at Hawk Hellfire, uh, where I'm always up for talking video games. So uh, just shoot me a DM. You can find me uh, also on Twitter at Nintendo Fuse, as well as YouTube.com/slash Nintendo Fuse, where we do a bi-weekly podcast every other Monday night starting at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, and we do that live. Uh, so you actually get to see us and hear us and be a part of the chat, which is really cool. Uh, and then also, you could find me at the Switch Mania Playcast, which is a podcast on all services, as well as premiumeditiongames.com, where you can right now purchase our Series 3 titles, Cathedral, Phenotopia Awakening, and Mighty Fight Federation. And we have a Discord for both Nintendo Fuse and for Premium Edition. So if you join those, uh, I'll be there. Let's talk video games. Excellent. And again, thank you, Barry. It was so good to talk with you. And once I play Link's Awakening, I'll, I'll uh, get you to come <laughs> back on and we can definitely chat about that. I'll come back anytime. Just, just let me know. Of course. And as usual, everybody, I've been your host, Sterling Silver. Thanks for listening to us chat about this amazing game you can find me on twitter at silver sterling you can listen to my anime podcast the simply anime podcast and you can find all my writings and ramblings on jump cut play and as of today i started my job at retroware which i finally announced and i'm finally getting paid decently well for my work which is very very nice congratulations mazel tov thank you guys uh, but yeah, we'll see you again soon, folks. We love you th- very much. Goodbye. <laughs>